This is Andy Francis, and you're listening to On the Board Sports. And always remember, the New York Islanders are the last team in professional sports to win 19 straight playoff series. You can play it on the board! Yes! I'm your host, Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Shorty, on the mic. Pandemic slash quarantine here in Queens, uh, New York. Always a pleasure to be joined by my main man, best co-host in the business, William Chirucci, a.k.a. Will C. Will, how you doing, pal? I'm doing good, Sean. I can't complain. Obviously, got the gym in the background, but, you know, got the shirt on today for a reason. And that reason is we have a very special guest with us joining us from Manhattan, New York. He is an S. He's... He works for SNY, and it's an honor to have him on. We're talking about the one and only Eamon McNamee. Eamon, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm doing just fine, but I'm jealous of that gym. I mean, that looks like some serious equipment. I've been locked out of the gym for two months with bands and push-ups and sit-ups. I don't know if I can stare at that thing during a podcast. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. (laughs) Thank you so much, Eamon, for coming on. And, you know, hey, sometimes the – the less is more stuff is actually better than doing some of this stuff for sure. But, you know, listen, you guys sometimes get in the reps while you can. Uh, Amon, before we go on, how did everything start up for you working in TV for SNY and just in general working in sports? The floor is all yeah, yours. That is a uh, long and winding journey. Uh, I always knew I wanted to work in sports somehow. I mean, I think that's the cliche for all of us who work in uh, sports uh, broadcasting or sports media. Um, But I played lacrosse in college, so I didn't really get to do a whole lot. I mean, I should have done more, but, you know, I was focusing on school and lacrosse and kind of broadcasting was put to the wayside. I procrastinated on a lot and didn't really do enough. Uh, So coming out of college, my resume was not ready for a job, certainly wasn't ready for on air. So I had to do a lot of production stuff. I started working on the weekends at ABC Sports and CBS Sports uh, as a logger and a scorer. Loggers, you would keep track of the time code of a big play in a college football game. So I was able to get stuff on my resume so that eventually when I interviewed at ESPN, I want to say in uh, December, uh, you know, I obviously knew sports. I followed sports. So there's a famous quiz uh, Al Jaffe at ESPN used to give to test your sports knowledge. I knew that. I did pretty well on that. And then I also, uh, like I said, I was a logger and a scorer, and that's really the essence of your job as a PA. So my first job in sports television, full-time job, was a production assistant up at ESPN, even though I always knew I wanted to be on air. So you fast forward, I think, six or seven years, I switched jobs to Classic Sports Network here in New York City, and a buddy of mine, Brian DiNovellis, was running a cable station in Bergen County, New Jersey, and he needed sports reporters on the weekends. So that's how I started to get build a tape. I worked for him on the weekends covering high school football games and high school basketball games. And then, uh, you know, as luck would have it for me, not for him, he snapped his Achilles tendon playing basketball and he couldn't go to work, couldn't drive. So I got to fill in for him for a month, which was huge because I got a tape. I got to sit at a desk, got to legitimately anchor the news and got a tape. So that led me to uh, one thing to another. I mean, Bangor, Maine was where I got my first full-time job. And then I moved back to New Jersey, and then I did a gazillion freelance jobs, and I knocked on enough doors, and finally I banged on the door at the right time at SNY, I think it was 2009, and I've been working for them as a freelancer uh, ever since, and now full-time for the last three years. 
That's awesome. That is amazing, man. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. amazing. Damon, um, I'm from uh, Brooklyn, New York. Will is also a uh, New York guy. Uh, like yourself, uh, growing up, did you have any favorite teams, Knicks, Nets, Yankees, Mets, so on and so forth? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, when I was growing up, the Yankees were winning World Series. They went to the World Series when I was seven, lost to the Reds, and then won it in uh, 77 and 78. So, obviously, that was the team. I mean, that was the team you followed. Thurman Munson, Reggie Jackson, we could go on and on and on. Nettles, you loved them all. Ron Guidry. So, that was, you know, I was lucky at an age like that to have a team that you fall in love with. And, you know, you watch them all the time. And they go deep into the playoffs and play ridiculous games like the Bucky Dent game against the Red Sox. So, that was the real team that I first became obsessed with sports. Um, my dad went to Notre Dame and was a huge Notre Dame fan. So, I was obsessed with Notre Dame football and Notre Dame basketball. As a kid, you know, Kelly Trapuca on the basketball uh, team, Joe Montana on the football team, Mark Bavaro when I got younger. So I was really into that. And then, uh, obviously, I love basketball. The Knicks weren't great when I was growing up. You know, I liked Toby Knight and Ray Williams, but it wasn't really until high school when Bernard King took over that I became obsessed with the Knicks. And then, of course, obviously, when Riley showed up, you know, it was worth becoming a Knicks fan. I mean, I was always a Knicks fan, but that's when everyone became Knicks fans, when Riley came and they became true contenders, although they could never really get over the hump. So uh, Yankees, Notre Dame uh, football and basketball, and the Knicks. You know, obviously a Giants fan, but, you know, I don't lose sleep if the Giants lose. If the other teams lose, uh, it's a restless night of sleep. <laughs> hey, speaking of the Knicks, Damon, this 30 for 30 documentary that came out about Michael Jordan and the last dance and chronicles the 97-98 Bulls and – even chronicles the whole Jordan dynasty, okay? What are your thoughts of the 30 for 30 thus far? Uh, the thoughts are that I'm old because I know it all. I watched it all, and then I go on Twitter on Mondays or late Sunday night, and I see all the arguing between the old guys like me and the young people who want to stick up for LeBron, and I'm like, man, I'm old. None of these people knew about this, but right. you know, I can't believe how long ago it was, but uh, – Hey, you know, it takes me back in time when I personally as a fan was really into the NBA. I mean, the NBA is great now. I'm not knocking it at all. But since the Knicks are really sort of irrelevant, it just doesn't have the same juice as it did when I was in my 20s. And you, as a Knicks fan, you lived through those series. Like a night off was a night where you could relax and actually enjoy dinner or go right. out. Whereas when they played a game, you were all wired. I mean, every other night. And it wasn't just the Bulls with the Knicks. It was the Pacers. It was the Hornets. Obviously, the Heat. But uh, I'm enjoying it, you know, going back in time. But, you know, unfortunately for me, being 50 years old, I'm not learning anything really new. I, I kind of know all these stories already. And I know the Knicks lose every time. <laughs> yes, they did. They definitely did. And, Eamon, um, let's go back to your, uh, um, to your uh, college days. Uh, Notre Dame, such a storied school, a storied uh, program, especially on the football field and the lacrosse field. Just take us back there, how it was um, going to school, playing um, um, there, and to see how the game went from how it was played then to how it was played now. Yeah, uh, you know, first of all, to me, like I said, my dad went to Notre Dame, my grandfather went to Notre Dame, so we were huge Notre Dame fans, but growing up, I never went and visited the campus. You know, they played at the Meadowlands. The basketball team played at the Garden. So my dad got his Notre Dame fix and was able to take us to Notre Dame games, luckily for us, right here in the New York City area. So we never really made it out to South Bend. So when I finally got there as a freshman and I made that turn, you know, in the car with my parents, 
and we make the turn down Notre Dame Avenue and you see the Golden Dome, it's like going to Oz. You're like, oh my goodness, this place is real. Like I'm going here. I'm not just watching it on, you know, the reruns with uh, Lindsey Nelson or watching the game and, you know, basketball game on NBC. I I'm really going to Notre Dame. So it was uh, sort of surreal that first couple of months. And then when I was there my freshman year, uh, Lou Holtz's second year, Tim Brown was a senior. And our first home game is freshman. He ran back two punts for touchdowns against Michigan State. And I'm like, wow, this is obviously awesome. So he won the Heisman. So you're walking around campus, and the guy who wins the Heisman Trophy is walking on campus to you. And I know that's not what academic higher learning is supposed to be about, but, you know, it's like seeing a rock star. You know, David Rivers going to class. It's, you know, you're like a year ago, I'm watching him on TV. Now I'm, you know, hanging out with him in the South Dining Hall. So that's kind of what it was like. And, you know, the one thing that really stands out to me because – my sophomore year, Notre Dame won it all, beating Miami 31-30 in the famous Catholics first convicts game. And these games, the home games, just took over. It was such a big deal. Notre Dame played a great schedule. Uh, it was such a different world, the college football world. It really was only like eight or ten teams, not like it's, it is now. And I'll always remember, like, going out to practice on the lacrosse team in the fall and, like, Thursdays, we go out to practice and we practice out by the RV parking lot, which is where people came to tailgate and get ready for the football game. And this is Thursdays I'm talking about. You'd see like maybe two or three RVs out in the parking lot at the beginning of practice. By the end of practice, there were clearly a hundred. Like people just descended on South Bend to see these football games. I mean, the, my senior year in 1990, uh, they played uh, Miami again at home. Friday morning, there's a knock on my door. I lived off campus in a house and there's a knock on my door. And it's like eight in the morning. And as you guys can imagine, college life, nothing's happening at eight in the morning and no one's knocking on the door. I mean, uh, I'm like, what is this? And I look at the door. I see the guy say hello. And he says, yeah, does Iman live here? I go, Iman? Uh, you mean Eamon? Yeah, whatever. Our buddy Murph says we can stay here. I'm like, what? I mean, but that's what it was like. Everyone came into South Bend because the football team was so good and so dominant. And so much fun to watch with guys like Ricky Waters and Chris Zorch and uh, Rocket Ishmael, Tony Rice. Uh, it was just an unbelievable college experience, you know, to go to such a good school, but yet get to see such great football games for uh, four years. And, you know, the lacrosse angle, we were just getting started. Um, luckily for me, because I really wasn't that good coming out of high school, uh, they hadn't really ramped up the program. Kevin Corrigan, who's still the coach now, took over my sophomore year and you could see it getting better and better, uh, obviously, by the time we graduated. But I don't think any of us, if you had told us when we walked out of there in 1991, that one day they'd be on the level with Syracuse and Johns Hopkins and have a chance to compete for the national championship and would, you know, win pretty easily against Johns Hopkins in an NCAA tournament game like they did, uh, I think it was two years ago or last season. We never would have guessed that, never. So uh, he's done an amazing job. Uh, the game of lacrosse has grown immensely, uh, and he's been able to capitalize on that. Uh, and it's great to be able to go out to South Bend, Indiana and see a lacrosse game between Notre Dame and Denver or Notre Dame and Ohio State. And the place is absolutely packed with kids from all over the Midwest who love the game. Eamon, speaking of lacrosse here in New York specifically, you know, the New York Riptide have come in. Basically, they haven't played that well. I'm sure you probably followed the uh, NLL uh, very closely, even the PLL with the outdoor lacrosse. Talk to us about how big lacrosse is in New York and even on Long Island over here as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's huge on Long Island. You know, they've had uh, the indoor team, you know, whether it's the Saints or now the Riptide going back 
you know, to the nineties, probably maybe even the eighties. So I, I think mm-hmm. it's completely different sport. The, and they cater to different fans in a sense, you know, the indoor game, uh, I'm not knocking the talent level and the physicality is unreal, but you know, they add a little wrestling element to it with the music and constant music and the light show. It's a great show. Uh, the outdoor game with the lizards, you know, is, you know, it's never really taken off. You know, the problem with capitalizing on the lacrosse fan in the summer is that the lacrosse fan kind of wants to, for some reason, get away from lacrosse and maybe go to the beach. You know, they don't want to go right down Hempstead Turnpike on a weekend. I love the MLL. I think the PLL is going to have a tremendous opportunity this summer with the plan they've come up with to sort of compress their whole season into two weeks. I think it'll be really interesting. Even with baseball coming back, there's still going to be that need for sports on TV. So I think the game is continuing to grow and continuing to become more popular. I think the key to it becoming a bigger spectator sport is somehow converting those young players into diehard fans. But also at the same point, you're going to have to find a way to make a 16 to 28-year-old person, boy and girl, who never picked up a stick, a lacrosse fan. That's how you take it to the next level as a sport. You need to find people who care if the New York Lizards or New York Riptide win. And that's, for, unfortunately, the one part that professional lacrosse hasn't been able to come up with. They get the lacrosse fan. They get the youth league there. You know, they get the parents and the young players there. But somehow they got to find a way to create new fans. That's very, very true. That's very, very true. Layman, um, as you said, a Yankee fan um, uh, growing up, we don't have uh, baseball as of yet. Hopefully it comes back. But before this whole thing, what were your expectations for them going into the year, especially when they added Garrett Cole and paid them a gazillion bucks? <laughs> yeah, I mean, with the, Yan- with the Yankees, the expectations, uh, whether it's a pandemic or 162 games or not, is World Series or bust, especially when you add Garrett Cole. It looks like the Red Sox really, you know, kind of subtracted trading Mookie Betts. The Astros are still incredibly good, but you took Mookie uh, Garrett Cole away from them. And who knows, you know, now it's going to be a lot different, I think, when lacrosse gets played, The excuse me, when baseball gets played, um, sort of the approach to the Astros uh, playing in empty stadiums could be a lot different than what we all thought when we thought they'd get heckled uh, every single game. But look, the Yankees with Garrett Cole now should go to the World Series and face off against the Dodgers. And, you know, let's see where the chips fall. But it's always World Series or bust with the Yankees, especially when they go out and add a talent like Garrett Cole. I mean, the health concerns are going to be very interesting to see if and when they play. Is Aaron Judge healthy? You know, uh, you know, what's the status of the pitching? Obviously, Severino is not going to be there. But, you know, will the pitching be healthy enough for a uh, shortened season? But clearly they're the favorites no matter what in the American League. And then I think it's a toss-up if they get to face the Dodgers in the World Series. You know, speaking of the National League, you, you alluded to the Dodgers. You know, the other New York team here, the Mets. What are your thoughts on the Mets? And there's so many what-ifs, or so many ifs, excuse me. You know, if Diaz can be Diaz. You know, if Familia can bounce back. You know, you know no longer about Syndergaard. He's out of the mix, but he was always a, a big question mark. You know, question mark. Can he live up to be in that 1A or the ace number two behind DeGrom? That question's out. But it's the bullpen. It all comes down to the bullpen. I think they've done a very good job of adding to the bullpen, but it still comes down to Familia uh, bouncing back and Diaz bouncing back. You know, if they bounce back, they should be a playoff team. But that's a huge if. Mm-hmm. I think the lineup's solid. You know, I don't think Pete Alonso um, is going to hit, you know, whatever the ratio is. Obviously, he's not going to hit 53 <laughs> home runs. But, you know, I, what, to expect him to have that kind of a dominant season once again is a little much. But still, I think the lineup's incredibly solid, uh, especially if Conforto – you know, can have that breakout year. I think it's a solid lineup, uh, but I'm just not sold on the bullpen. And the way that uh, managers work, hold on to their starters now, it all comes down to the bullpen. 
as whatever it's written. And even on, but let's go back to the lacrosse uh, for one um, uh, second. I become a fan of NC uh, the AA, and I look forward to Memorial Day uh, weekend, the semis, the championship game. I know we didn't get to see that this year, but I know that you have the chance to follow. Is there a particular semis or championship um, matchup that you really, really wanted to see that unfortunately we won't get a chance to get? Yeah, I mean, it was tough to tell this year because it was such a shortened season. You know, you never really got a feel for a team. Every time you thought a team was really good, they would lose. I mean, I think Penn State with Grant Ament was going to be incredibly talented. Um, you know, I, I think it was, you know, sort of Virginia, Penn State, Virginia, Yale, you know, Yale, Penn State, Virginia, in some kind of form in that mix. Uh, with You know, Cornell was off to a ridiculous start, you know. I mean, Cornell was playing great. Princeton with Michael Sowers, you know, you really wanted to see Princeton get back into the NCAA tournament and face off against the big boys. Uh, they upset Virginia. So um, that's the thing. There was, you know, lacrosse in February and March is really tough to tell. Um, everyone's still feeling each other out. There's some upsets that you go, wow. You know, Duke always loses a game that you go, wow. And then they're still in the final four and compete for the championship. But, you know, I think somewhere Penn State, uh, Virginia, you know, look like the, you know, teams that probably ever would have been the most entertaining title game. Eamon, to go back to, co to college sports, like my partner said, we see all the big, the big teams here in the tri-state area, whether it be Rutgers or, you know, you got Penn State down the road or even St. John's over here. My question for you is why hasn't college sports taken off in Getting just getting the notoriety that let's say you know Notre Dame does or you know USC does. Why why hasn't college sports taken off here in the tri-state area like that? It's a pro town. It's a pro town, and most of the people in this area. And this is a huge generalization, obviously, that went to college, didn't go to colleges with big-time sports teams. It just doesn't take off in the Northeast, and to resonate with the sports fan in the New York metropolitan area, you have to be really, really, really good. You have to be Chris Mullen, Mark Jackson, Louis Carnesecca in the sweater and going to the final four and being the number one team in the country. And that's just a fact. I mean, people in this town care a lot more about a regular season Yankee game than Rutgers, Ohio State. Now, you know, maybe if Greg Schiano never left and Rutgers could have gotten in the Big Ten on a high and he could have competed with those teams. I mean, I know Kyle Flood beat a bad Michigan team. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if there was – ever a chance where you get to Rutgers is at that level where they play a really good Ohio state or a really good Michigan team at home and they beat them. Trust me, the bandwagon will be full. That's another thing about New Yorkers. We don't want to hear it, but we'll hop on any bandwagon we can find. Okay. So if, you know, if St. John's, you know, gets really, really good again, look, I, I was there at the garden when Ron Artest, Eric Barkley, Mike Jarvis uh, played Duke to the wire with Elton Brand. And I'm going to forget names, but that was as a ridiculous college basketball game and as ridiculous an atmosphere as you'll find. Artest hits a shot that sent the place bonkers. Okay. So we want to root for it. We want to hop on. Problem is the teams just haven't been really, really, really good. I'm not talking just like, you know, it was going to be fun this year to see Rutgers in the NCAA tournament. I'm talking about elite eight, like maybe Seton Hall, could have gotten to the elite eight people would have gotten into it but you know it's just you have to be really really good for us to care in the new york metropolitan area and they're just not there yet plus i got another thing piscataway is not in the new york metropolitan area i understand people like whenever they're on national tv they love to show the empire state building trust me no one hanging out in times square schlepping out to piscataway for a thursday night game 
against Northwestern. Okay, let's just be fair. <laughs> you're right about that. You're, it's true words are spoken. You're right. The true words are spoken exactly. And hey, man, um, obviously there's no sports of going on, um, going on now, and this talk of when is this sport coming back, when is that sport coming back, and May is such a great sports month because you have the hockey and the playoffs, the right. NBA, the playoffs, and MLB. How it has it been tough having to work or go into work and not having the norm to speak about and instead speaking about, okay, well, is this coming back in June and August, so on and so forth? Yeah, I mean, it's been tough on everyone. I mean, there's really, you know, it's tough to fill content. It's like you said, I mean, we finally, like, just look at the NFL draft. 55 million people watched. We're Now, obviously, we couldn't go anywhere, so what else are we going to watch? But, I mean, we're dying for sports. And, you know, you know, don't get me wrong. That's a horrible phrase. I take that back. We really, really want sports, uh, you know. But we understand it's not important right now. I mean, you're sitting here with the debate about whether baseball players should give up this or give up that. Sports aren't essential. I mean, as much as that flies in the face of our lives, you know, if Blake Snell doesn't think it's safe enough to come back, then okay, he should, you know, shouldn't come back. But he shouldn't argue that, well, you know, if it's not safe, they should pay me more. I mean, that's that's not going to help him with anybody. But uh, right. look, it, 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 you know, this is what we do for a living, you know, and I just, you know, everyone's on hold right now. You know, New York on pause, you know, you can't go to a Broadway show, you can't go see a concert. You know, it's sports and everything that we use as uh, distractions from our regular lives. I mean, even like, you know, we talk about big time sports, like I feel bad for my, uh, son and his friends who don't get to play little league. I mean, and I feel bad for children across the country who don't get to play their sports and don't get outside and don't get to hang out with their friends. I mean, don't get me wrong. We all understand. We all want to talk about, you know, the hockey playoffs and the NBA playoffs, but you know, there's, there's a country full of, you know, eight to 16 year olds who aren't getting to play their games and are stuck indoors. And I feel for them. That stinks, but I'm not arguing with what we're told to do because I'm not smart enough to figure it out. But you know, the fact that you can't go outside and shoot hoops in New York city stinks. Absolutely, especially almost every hoop being taken down. It's unbelievable. You go to the backboards and there's no rim. I know. What what, what a time to be living in New York City, though, right now, you know? It's crazy. Absolutely nuts. Eamon, what's it like working at SNY? And what's been, like, your favorite moment thus far working at SNY? Oh, man. Uh, You know, it's great. You know, it's everything I wanted to do. Once I decided I wanted to be on air, I wanted to be on a desk in New York City and, you know, be an anchor. I grew up watching Warner Wolf, you know, and, uh, you know, that was the guy, you know, that was before ESPN, before cable. And, you know, sort of, I was always, that's, you know, helped me become a huge sports fan. So this was something I've always wanted to do. And you work at a place with people who are passionate about sports and passionate about New York sports. And, you know, when the Mets are rocking and rolling, I've been there for, you know, 10 years, I think. And, uh, there, there's been three or four really good Mets seasons, you know, last year they missed out on the playoffs, but that summer, run was a lot of fun and generated a lot of excitement for the team obviously and for the network so it's always a lot more exciting to go to work when the Mets are playing well but I think the most uh fun night I had was uh out in there's two uh but out of nowhere when the Giants traded Odell Beckham and the Jets signed Le'Veon Bell on the same night that's pretty crazy uh you know the Giants had just said you don't give up on talent or we didn't sign him to trade him or whatever you know they said both of those things and next thing you know he was traded to Cleveland and I'll never forget saying to my coordinating producer, Chris Freedom, well, I guess we don't have to worry th- about anything else. Nothing else tonight's going to top Odell getting traded. And, you know, less than an hour later, the Jets had signed Le'Veon Bell. So you, you get two 
stories like that breaking one night uh, is, is why you do it. The fun, the electricity uh, of a night like that is, uh, you know, is invigorating. That's very, very true. And Eamon, my last question for you is when this quarantine breaks and this pandemic is done, what restaurant, what meal, <laughs> where is the first place that you're going to go? Because I've been craving a good steak for the last like two months. So where's the first place or the first meal that you want to eat? Yeah, I think, I think it's definitely going to be a steak because the other stuff you can get, you can get takeout. I don't think steak works uh, takeout. So we've been able to uh, still get Mighty Quinn's and, uh, you know, Joe's Pizza. But I think you're right. We might have, the wife and I might have to flip a coin for a Keen Steakhouse or um, uh, Peter Luger's. We haven't been to Peter Luger's in a while. So that might be a great way to celebrate the end of quarantine. Right, exactly. That's awesome. Peter Luger's over in Williamsburg is actually really good. <laughs> I'm actually craving yeah. that right now. <laughs> uh, Amy, my final question for you is, you know, you look at everything right now as far as the whole pandemic goes and sports coming back in general. Out of all the four sports leagues, we know that the NHL and the NBA playoffs, like my, uh, my co-host alluded to, you know, they got to come back. Baseball still has to begin their season. And the NFL, they still got to go through their training camps, obviously. Uh, which sport comes back first? Feels like baseball. I mean, they're the one generating the most talk, uh, the most buzz. Uh, I apologize. The NHL could be close, but unfortunately, they're just overshadowed. Um, I would not be surprised. Although the, this week it's changed a little bit. You're feeling more – you get more positive signs and vibes from the NBA. Uh, if we were having this conversation two weeks ago, I think the NBA was ready to wave the white flag and just focus on next season. But I think baseball, even though it doesn't sound like the players and the owners are on the same page right now, I think they someone has to be smart enough to know that this is a chance for them and that sport to sort of take over America again. And I think they're going to, they're the ones who seem to have the most or the closest to a plan. Uh, obviously, like I said, the players and the owners have to get on the same page and someone's right. going to have to bend. They're both going to have to bend it seems, but, but I think baseball early July, middle of July seems to be uh, a realistic possibility. Now, of course, the way this pandemic's going, that could change by Monday, but I think that's the one that seems to be the most realistic possibility. Mm. Very interesting right there. Very interesting. Eamon, how do the people follow you on social media? Uh, let's see. It's Emac, Eamon Mac, S-N-Y on uh, Twitter uh, uh, and Eamon Mac NYC on Instagram and just my name on Facebook. But uh, you can find me. I'm tweeting uh, a lot more now than I usually do because I have a lot more time on my hands and I'm, uh, you know, following the Twitter too much and uh, Instagram uh, all the time. So, yeah, Eamon Mac, Eamon Mac, excuse me, NYC on Instagram and uh, Eamon Mac S-N-Y on Twitter. Actually. Yeah, like I actually saw you tweet uh, the Mount, uh, um, the Mount, um, Mount Rushmore, Rushmore of the Jets. Of, of the Jets, Will is a passionate Jets fan. Yes, I don't know why, but he's a passionate fan <laughs> of the Jets. So maybe you and Will could uh, have that talk. You know, <laughs> who's on your who's your four? For for me, yeah. Uh, let's see, Joe Namath, right? Don Maynard, uh. Probably somebody from the SAC exchange, probably Gastineau. Okay. You know, and nobody from now, maybe Larry Grantham. Oh, wow. So no Curtis Martin for you. Curtis Martin is an honorable mention for me. I okay. love Curtis. I love Chad Pennington. I love those 2000s Jets. But if we're talking about all-time greats, and I'm, I even left off Darrell Rivas on my list. So You did. Right, right then and there alone. You know, those guys are just 
those those are the four Jets that I think of the most. And even a guy like Marty Lyons, too. You know, same, same right, thing. Well, find me on Twitter, click and watch, and uh, comment on my four. I'm not going to give it away because I want people to watch. So you have to go to uh, <laughs> SNY.TV or my Twitter uh, handle to find out who I put on my four on my Mount Rushmore. Hey, speak, since you're a Giants fan, okay, I'm sure you probably put it on there. Who's on your Mount Rushmore for, for Giants players ever? Wow. I mean, it's such a longer history. You go back to like Gifford and Tittle, but you know, uh, certainly you got to go LT. You got to go Harry Carson. Uh, I mean, uh, maybe. I don't, I wouldn't, there's too many, cause you got to put someone from the offense. I mean, you got to put Eli and or Phil Sims up there. Oh, I mean, Eli won two Super Bowls. Um, yeah, and I think you got to go Whitey Tittle. So I would go, I mean, again, I'm sure I'm leaving some obvious one out, but I would go Carson, LT, Tittle, and Eli. And you could argue that till the cows come home. <laughs> right, Joe. Awesome stuff, Eamon. Awesome stuff. Eamon, thank you for sacrificing some time to come on and talk sports with us. And, you know, you're always welcome back on. And, hey, who knows, maybe post-quarantine, post you know, all the facial hair will be off for, for, for all the TV people out there. That's right. I might have to uh, yeah, trim it up a little bit. But thanks for having me on, guys, and uh, stay healthy. Appreciate talking sports with you. Same. Thank you, Edward. Thank you so much, Bob. Thank you. Well, that was the one and only Eamon McEnany of SNY. Will, a great guy, guy, guy that I've gotten a chance to watch throughout the years, a big fan of his work. So always a pleasure to have someone that we watch so much and have the chance to talk to him. Great, great, a great, great day, man. Absolutely. And, you know, never thought that, you know, here's a guy like Eamon playing lacrosse and going to Notre Dame, everything like that. And here he is at SNY. Now you talk about a journey. That's a journey right there in itself. And he's made it, he's fulfilled it and he's doing his thing. So there's nothing, nothing more, nothing less to be said about Eamon. Just a great guy and just a great individual. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's end this uh, episode. I just want to thank the name in for coming on again, and for my co-host, William Trucci, a.k.a. Rosie. I'm Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Sonny on the mic, signing off. Be well, and shout out to all the essential workers out there. Peace out.